Hey everybody, welcome back to Somebody Save Us, Smallville Revisited, where each and every week we take a deep dive into every single episode of the Smash TV hit Smallville. Uh, this episode, this week we have episode 13, Kinetic, written by Philip Levine and directed by Robert Singer. But first, I want to give a shout out to the last Yate man on Twitter, who is someone who's actually a mutual follow of mine for years now, who just randomly one day hit me up on Twitter and said, hey, are you the host of this podcast? And I was like, well, yes, I am. And uh, he just kind of gave us, uh, me and Polly, a um, a really nice shout out and a really nice, um, uh, I don't know, props. He says he's really enjoying the show and he's, he's really into it. So it was really kind of cool for someone who, he says it spontaneously just showed up in his feed from somebody else sharing it. So very cool. We're kind of getting out there and getting exposed. And I just wanted to say a big thank you to him as well for, um, for just all the kind words. Well, uh, Paul and myself really appreciated it. And uh, we'll actually get right into the episode right after this. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Not as bad, Steve. How's it going? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Uh, episode 13, Kinetic. What uh, What are your quick impressions? Uh, well, just it, it's it's kind of just one of those. I mean, it's kind of fun because there's like a lot of really cheesy stuff that we can get into here. But uh, it's kind of one of those kind of uh, villain of the week. It doesn't have a lot of stakes, but it's really ridiculous. Like really ridiculous over the top it's a little over the top at points um it's it's one of those things where you kind of like i don't it's a pretty whitney heavy episode right and i don't know if it's trying to get you to sympathize or empathize with whitney right i don't think it does that (laughs) Uh, it tries to do it and i don't think it succeeds and it's also a little lex heavy but right, he's kind of like it, it doesn't, I don't know, expand on Lex in any specific way that that really crosses right. my mind right now. Um, but anyway, let, let's just get right into it, I guess. Tell us about. Yeah. Kinetic. OK, yeah. So the cold open is I think we're just kind of like we see that kind of a wooded area and we the music immediately lets us know that these guys are hard. <laughs> They're hard boys. Uh, they're in a really nice car, though. Uh, um. And we just see kind of three guys in a car. They they've got balaclavas on, and they're like psyching themselves up. And we see them get out of the car, and that's and, kind and of just blaring like '90s rap metal. Yeah, I think it was Limp Biscuit, but I again, I don't want to say for sure because I I'm like over the course of the podcast, it's going to become very clear that I'm like music knowing exactly who the music artist is is never my strong suit. I couldn't tell you who this was. This it, it seemed very generic to me. Limp Bizkit's a good call. It could have been, uh, yeah, it could have been one of any of a thousand like early '90s rap right. metal infusion bands. Yeah, yeah, but uh, they the music is there to let us know that these guys are up to no good. Bad boys, listen to Bad metal. Bad boys. That's yeah. going to be our next T-shirt, by the way. <laughs> we, we don't have a first t-shirt out but that'll be our next t-shirt bad boys listen to metal right but uh we cut inside uh the mansion and we're looking through the kind of viewfinder of the camera that clark is working um he is kind of helping chloe as her cameraman as she interviews lex for i assume the torch but possibly not like it could be for maybe he's like gotten uh you know used his uh uh, his pull to get her a, like an inquisitor, a guest spot in the inquisitor, but I think it's for the torch. I I really like the energy in this scene because it's very yeah. very like uh, Chloe's one hundred percent into the interview. She's like really doing her best to like kind of hardball Lex, and Rosenbaum plays it off so well in that like uh, he's amused and like yeah. kind of letting her get away with it and trying to like outright not laugh in her face like you're just such an amateur kind of you can see it like going through in his performance it's really really well acted yeah yeah and you can tell like she 
she doesn't realize that that's what he's doing, but that she like really is like really relishing the opportunity. Yeah. Oh, she thinks she's nailing him to the wall and he's just like, this is, this is cute. Right. Well, and then Lex's uh, security comes in, uh, letting Lex know that Lionel's on the phone and Lex kind of quickly excuses himself saying something to the effect of like, uh, I, uh, look forward to continuing our verbal quarrel or something like that. Yeah. Um, Verbal sparring session or, or or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we're cut back outside and we actually uh, get a really quick, like it's, it's quick enough that you might not be able to read it unless you pause it, but we get the address for the mansion, which is two one, one six Beresford lane. Totally. As the guys at all. Yeah as the guys are walking up to the gate, because the music is continuing to let us know that these guys are still hard. They are up to no good. Yeah. Uh, and back inside, Chloe is kind of, they've been waiting on Lex maybe for a couple minutes, and Chloe's curious about whether Lex is really taking a call or not. Um, and then they're kind of walking around the room, and she points out a vase on the shelf, kind of asking if Clark thinks it's real. And he, in like the moment it takes him to consider it, She's just gone. Like, she just vanishes out of the room. <laughs> yeah. And Clark's like, huh, I've done this so many times to other people. But he kind of leaves right after her. And, like, as that's happening, the the three balaclava boys are, like, in the room. Like, the if Clark had looked over boys. his shoulder. If Clark had looked over his shoulder, he would have seen them. Yeah, I thought that was just a very weirdly, completely weirdly directed scene in that. And, I mean, obviously... It was probably edited down for time or whatever. You're on TV. You got a time limit, but it, everything really did in that like two minute span happen way too quickly. And there always is like, there's like a, there's like a sound and I think it's like non-diegetic. Like it's not a sound that other people hear, but it's to let us know that they've teleported in. It's kind of like a, like a. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Noise. It's like, I don't think other people hear that noise when they appear. It's just for us to know that they. It's yeah, like an audience cue. It's like when right. uh, 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 in Rebels, when like Ezra Bridger uses the Force, they added a sound to the Force right. for some reason. It was very weird, but uh, but yeah, it was essentially to let you know that oh, this character is using powers. Yeah, exactly. The and, and like right away, like one of the guys asks another how they know where the. Uh, safe is and he says he knows it from sources and we see kind of a look on constant of concentration on like b1's face as i guess i'm going to call him for now uh before we see the inside of the safe and learn that these guys can walk through walls and we just kind of see them do like a smash and grab okay so now during part of this smash and grab like they're going through all of Lex's in this secret safe. I don't know how anybody knows that this secret room is here, but somehow he does. Or no, wait, doesn't he say that his cousin helped install it or something? One of the, uh, one of the, yeah, some kind of source. Yeah. They have a source. Okay. But as far so, as they go, but they're going through this and then they find like this chip, this w- w- some kind of weird, vague computer chip. And one guy's like, Oh, what is this? And oh, I don't care. Take it. But like right. he's questioned. The only thing he's questioning in that room is the chip. Like these guys are stealing you would assume centuries old antiques and do they know what all of those things are? How are you going to fence those things? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he, they just grab as much as they can. And then, uh, we, we cut back out to Clark has found Chloe and is kind of berating her for going snooping. Um, and she's like, you know, you're not the least bit curious as to where Lex went and all this other stuff. And she's kind of apologetic, but they head back to the library to just go and, and get everything kind of put away because they don't think Lex is going to come back. Uh, but as Clark starts breaking down the camera setup, he notices two big duffel bags on the floor. And then like we hear that sound again and he's grabbed from behind. So one of these guys was in the wall behind him or something like uh, oh, it's a good point. Well, I mean, he probably could have just, I don't know where that safe is, but it does seem like they right. were on the other end of the room. I don't know. This whole sequence is very confusing because you're taking antique vases and stuff and I didn't see them wrap any of this shit. They're just throwing it in duffel bags. 
Yeah. Like none of it is getting broken. Absolutely none. Of it. And then they just throw the duffel bags on the ground. And then, like you said, Clark gets grabbed from out of nowhere, which kind of makes sense because these guys can move through walls. But are they just now randomly like back and forth through walls specifically to fuck with people who are in the house? Yeah, it's not really clear. But one thing we do are clear about pretty quick is that the we get like the meteor sound. So Clark is instantly weakened and can't break free. Yes, so uh, we we now yelling. know Meteor Rock is definitely in play here. Right, and Clark yells for Chloe to run, and she kind of gets in a little bit of a fight out in the hallway, but uh, I guess maybe this is the B, this would be, I guess, B2, uh, and then uh, he, she catches a glimpse when she's got her around the, the neck of, like, his, his tattoo, and early on, like I was like, I can't, I couldn't remember if they were if they were real tattoos or if they were just henna. <laughs> oh, no! I, I, I sp- as soon as they showed that, I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember this. The right. kryptonite ink. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember. I, I was so I, I made a crack about it being his sweet henna. Um, but then he puts her through a fucking window. So, which is honestly pretty savage. Yeah. Yeah, and like Clark, Clark kind of stumbles over and can't quite get to her before she falls. I, I, I specifically wrote down in my notes, you know, this show is often a lot more interesting when Clark can't get there in time. Yeah. Because yeah. legitimately, Chloe falling out a window, pretty fucking hardcore. And then yeah. like Clark looks over the edge of the window and you see her broken, like laying on the ground. It's like, oh, God yeah. damn, that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah, she went down. And so, yeah, we, that's opening credits. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, cause she, yeah, she's laying on the ground below, like maybe 15, 20 feet kind of in that kind of like broken pose where like, you've got like one arm in one direction, a leg in one direction. Like you're almost doing like a human swastika <laughs> thing, right? The, that's the pose though, right? Like, we, right. A sure. One arm's askew, and then the one leg's yeah. askew kind of thing. Right. Human swastika. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like, everybody knows the pose we're talking about, because it is yeah. in, every time someone falls out a window, it is the next shot you see in this, right. like, one uh, one leg has to be bent up this way. And... Right. Yeah. Just to give a broken, a broken look. And, but yeah, so after the credits, Clark is in Chloe's like hospital room, standing over her bed. Uh, and she looks of, messed up. Yeah, and she looks fucked up and worried. Like the 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 makeup, especially around her eye, looks really like pretty very good. good. Yeah, it's yeah. savage. But yeah, she, so she looks really fucked up, and Lex comes in, um, kind of. A, quickly assuring that the best doctors will be attending to her. And like Lex does this a few times throughout the series where people get hurt and he's like, don't worry about it. I've got the best doctors on it. It's like, well, if she's broken her arm and stuff and is just unconscious, there's not really much the best doctors are going to be able to do. Yeah. If she's like in a coma, uh, I mean, at this point it's literally just all we're observing, making sure her brain doesn't swell to the point where it shuts down. Right. But uh, Lex and Clark talk about the situation that happened, and Lex has heard stories about this gang, including some attempt they made at the bank. Um, And Lex makes a, 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 he says something to Clark, um, or or Clark's like, what did the police say, Lex? And Lex is like, I didn't report the robbery to the police, just the breaking and entering. So it like literally doesn't say what was stolen, and that should be an immediately, immediate red flag for Clark. Like, why right. are you not reporting what was stolen? Right. And, and it's, yeah, it's, and he doesn't really interrogate it too much to start. Uh, but that he does, like, he's, he, and he, he's basically trying to get Clark to stay out of it. Like, he's just like, when these guys are caught, they'll be dealt with accordingly. Yes. And Clark's like, what does that mean? And Lex is like, just let me handle it. Lex's own brand of justice. Yeah. Lex Justice. Lex Justice is a great name. That I'm going to name my first son Lex Justice. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Justice. Uh, but uh, 
Clark, uh, so we cut to the, to the, because uh, Clark is clearly a little upset by this. And in the next scene, he's just doing some light wood smashing when his parents come into the barn. Like he's just like punching wood to pieces. What? Okay, well, hold on. Didn't we, isn't there like a slight scene in the middle here where it's just like a really quick transitionary scene where Clark runs into Whitney or Whitney's talking to he, Whitney sh- or he's really angry about some shit. He just oh, like maybe runs into Clark. Cause all like, I remember is Whitney looking at Clark going this, this town it really keeps you down. Clark. And then he storms off and I was like, Holy Christ. That might be later, but I think it might be, I think it might be, uh, you're, you're talking about like Lana's walking out of the Talon or something and runs into him briefly, but he's just being a real mope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. she's like, tries to console him and he's like, Oh, this town just keeps you down. And then he walks away and that's like the end. That's the only part of that scene is Whitney whining about something and then being very vague about it. And then, yes, yeah, then we can... go to, uh, then we cut to like Clark beating his wood in the barn. Um, <laughs> which Beauty by the way, the 100% stolen by Captain America 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. Clark Just did saying. it first. Yeah. Clark did it first. Did it first it, in the barn and his mom and dad walked in on him. Right. So. Just, just making splinters. Oh man. Pounding it like it owes him money. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah. Why? But, I'm sorry, but why? Cause he's angry and frustrated oh it's because he couldn't save chloe is that why he's because i was yeah, at, yeah when i was watching i was confused i was like why is he so angry he's beating 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 himself up over not being not being there and they reiterate again like they constantly do this where they his parents have to reinforce that it wasn't his fault that he can't expect to save everybody mm-hmm. which i it's a struggle superman will go through forever like whenever he fails to save somebody he beats himself up for it yeah oh yeah he, never really he likes it. to guilt trip himself a lot yeah but um martha suggests that maybe he go look into it if he thinks that would be useful like if he wants to feel useful maybe he should investigate a little bit which is kind of out of character for them to be like hey just go get yourself into some trouble yeah totally and, and it was like I kind of noticed like early on, like even though Clark does investigate stuff and he looks into it, he's number one, usually not very good at it. Somebody has to lead him by the hand to the conclusion he needs to find. Um, and he doesn't often seem like he wants to. So it's, it is kind of a cool story arc as it goes on, because we all know that Clark Kent eventually becomes like investigative journalist. So early on that he's hesitant and not very good at it is actually kind of, endearing and enjoyable to watch yeah and like he basically because of chloe being sidelined he kind of has to take pick up the slack that she would normally cover at this point yes excellent point so um i guess we get we get that really quick scene though at the talon where um nell is packing boxes and her and, and lana are talking about stuff and then we learn that lex is the buyer Oh, do we? I thought we learned that in the last episode, but yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, we, yeah, we learn, we learn it here. Uh, I think there's always maybe. I think I'd remembered that Lex was the buyer, and so I was expecting us to learn that last time, but we find out here. The the um, whole like talent and Lana's sale. mad. Like she has. Oh yeah. Yeah, Lana has like this look of like like consternation on her face when she finds out that he's the buyer. Well, like, is is she mad that he's the buyer or is she mad because um, Nell has essentially just said like, oh, we're going to turn it into a parking lot. Like it's, well, it's, yeah, he's not she, even buying it yeah. to revitalize downtown. He's just buying it to like tear everything down. Right. Yeah. Because he hasn't thought about that part yet. But well, yeah, we we'll get around to that. Yeah. He hasn't thought about Lana's dead parents and where they met and had their first date. Because cause Lex, why would he? Right. But yeah, so outside the bank, uh, like Clark and and uh, and Peter walking down the road, and Clark is talking Pete's ear off the way that Chloe would um, about this whole situation, and Pete's kind of doubtful um, about like the whole mystery thefts thing and what they can really do about it. Um, and while Pete's kind of talking, Pete or uh, Clark looks 
like through the wall of the safe or of, of the bank and looks into the safe and he sees like a severed arm like in the door of the safe. Which is oh, something we didn't mention at the opening robbery scene is that one of the guys only has one arm. But we don't we don't actually notice that like there's no way to like I guess if you rewind it you can notice that the one guy he kind of does like a thing in the car where he kind of yeah he takes he takes his arm asleep. off in the back seat of the car he takes his, his arm off and leaves it yeah so I you actually see him like uh, dislocate or or remove his prosthetic I thought it was just him pulling his sleeve down over it or something like that yeah I couldn't remember. So, and but we yeah. don't know why he has a prosthetic. Now, the thing is, my question is, with the whole prosthetic thing, is you assume that he's removing it because it can't travel through walls with him. This is my right. get. This is how, what my process was anyway. Is like, oh, he took the fake arm off because the arm can't well, travel. Well, why would but, their Why would their clothes be able to then? Their clothes or the things that they're robbing or anything like that. So, yeah. him removing the prosthetic oh. arm, I guess, is just because it's going to be a kind of really chaotic situation and maybe. I don't like, is it the possibility that he's just going to drop it? Right. Like, yeah, who knows? I mean, I wasn't even sure. I'm not even sure whether or not, like I'd have to go back again to watch it to see if he even actually leaves it behind because I remember 100%, 100% he takes it off in the car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's anyway, but yeah, we, I guess right here we get the sense that, you know, that that's obviously his arm. Um, but we actually cut to their hideout of uh, the hideout of the Balaclava boys. Uh, and uh, like B1 is watching like all of the TVs. Like there's just, there's just a, a bank of TVs and it, like he's just flipping through channels and now, nothing's on. As soon as I saw this guy, I had like two thoughts. I was like, number one, this guy kind of looks like uh, just a couple days past the best before date Zac Efron. <laughs> like, like he legitimately does he not look like he could be a distant relative of Zac Efron? Uh, maybe. And like, number two, a... was he on Battlestar Galactica? Uh, he might have been. I know he was on Stargate SG One, oh. and like he's he's a bit actor. Like he's got ep- a few episodes of a bunch of stuff. Like looking up his IMDb would be pretty exhaustive. Like I think he's got like ninety something roles. Oh well, I mean he is but... in that like there's like a community of like Vancouver actors. Where when a lot of things were being shot in Vancouver, a lot of things have like moved over to Toronto now. Still a lot of things shot in Vancouver. But when in this like 90s era of TV, you would see the same people in multiple shows, especially like it seemed like a lot of nerd culture shows. Like there's a a doctor is going to show up in here. And she also played a doctor in Battlestar Galactica, and she also played a doctor in like the CW or in in uh, like Supernatural. So you'll okay. see all these character actors ping ponging back and forth a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. So, but this guy, he's kind of just bored. Um, and like the other guy, like I guess B, I guess I'll call him B two for now, is going on about what else they could steal from the mansion. Like he wants to go back there and, and deal with it. And then the third guy, who's maybe the brains of the operation, the guy who has one arm, uh, B3, has some doubts uh, because he mentions the fact that their tattoos aren't lasting. Like, whatever it is, isn't lasting as long anymore as it used to. Yeah, so they're gaining some kind of uh, immunity, I guess. Right. To, to... So they need to... Yeah, so they need... Our... I don't know if this is necessarily where they come up with the plan, but but they they can't keep risking these robberies because they take a certain amount of time and they're they don't necessarily have that time anymore. Yeah, because they don't really know how much time they have anymore, and they don't want to risk it because of what happened to B three's arm, or you'd think that. And so B one suggests maybe that they need new blood. Um, and uh, and then B three figures out why Lex didn't want to go to the cops and shows them the disc. And we kind of learn a little bit here that it's something to do it's some some spy situation that Lex has going, keeping an eye on Lionel. Okay, because uh, as soon as uh, like we started talking about like the chip is obviously a big thing in the robbery, and then like we got to this point because I remember that this guy's like at the computer, kind of screwing around with it, 
And it like completely wiped from my mind. I'm like, what is the importance of this chip? I don't remember it at all. But that's the thing. It's like the it's weird because I remember it being like very much like kind of like a like a computer chip or like a like a USB drive looking type of thing when it was pulled out of the safe. But the thing that they have from this point on is just a simple like orange diskette, like a like like a not a three quarter inch floppy, but like like one of the smaller ones, like maybe a zip drive or something. Oh, it's almost disc. like those little Sony Discman things they used to have. Yeah, it's like that, and it's like, it's like, it's a different prop completely. It's 100% a completely different thing than what they stole, yes. Yeah. So it was a little confusing for me to be like, okay, was this just one of the things that they found, and maybe the thing we saw them pull out of the safe wasn't relevant? But it had to have been, because they they rested on it in the safe. So, yeah. Continuity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like plot holes and stuff all over this episode. So oh yeah, not, for sure. Um, but Lex, so Lex is on the phone with his security contractor, um, like pissed off that he's like, you figure out what the hell happened. Um, and when he hangs up, uh, B1 is standing in front of him um, and then asking how he got in there. B2 responds kind of same as last time, bruh. This is, there's just a a really weird, subtle thing in this scene, and I'm not sure why it was directed or acted the way it was, because uh, uh, your Belikava boy, number one there, you're you're the leader, tells Lex, like, they they break in or whatever, and he's like, turn around, because I guess he doesn't want Lex to see him in a Belikava, like, you've got a mask on, it's fine. But Lex not only turns around... But then, like, bends over his desk. And I'm like, what is happening? Was there flirting that I missed? Is this just to fuel some fanfic? I don't under... Because he doesn't say, turn around and bend over and get on the desk. But Lex does. And it's kind of in a very weird, like, teasy kind of way. And I'm like, who directed this? Yeah, because it's like he's almost... uh, Where Lex is going to... If he's sitting back down... It's like back at the kind of chair he sits at near the fireplace all the time. Yeah. Like if, if that is what he's doing, but like they basically like, like Lex tries to lie to these guys about what is on the disc and, uh, and he gets a gut punch for it. Um, and like, it's something about a particle accelerator and, uh, like B3 states that methane plants don't need particle accelerators. And I'm like, Lex is working on a particle accelerator. I totally missed that line. I 100% missed that line. Yeah. So they want a million dollars if Lex doesn't, uh, and if Lex does anything stupid, the disc will get uploaded to the internet. And of course, then Lionel will see it. Um, They give him a burner phone that they can call him on, you know, I guess it maybe not, wouldn't have been a burner back then because that would have been like a top of the line phone. (laughs) Yeah, actually, you wouldn't have been able to buy that in just, like, a gas station or whatever like you can now. You would have to have signed up for some kind of plan. Yeah. So, but, so they give him the phone, and they they use that thing where they told him to turn around to slip away. Yes. I I guess. Because I guess maybe they don't want him to know that they can walk through walls. Uh, well, I mean, that's a legitimate theory, actually. I mean, why not? If if that is like a part of your arsenal, and it is best kept as a surprise, why not? Right. Yeah, but like, I guess the next scene is uh, at Fordman's, the uh, Whitney's dad's store. We get like a quick exterior shot of it just to establish it, and then inside, uh, like Whitney's hanging some clothes and whatever, and Clark walks in and is trying to get Whitney's attention and Whitney's finally just like, okay, I'll, I'll engage. Cause he's at work clearly. Um, and we find out through their conversation that Whitney lost his scholarship and like, he basically considers his life to be over. Like he's being, Which, he's like really bumming out. Uh, and, and maybe the first time in the series that I actually have legit sympathy for Whitney. Right. Is he did have plans. He was an athlete. He was a star athlete. He did have a scholarship. Like things were looking up. 
Then his dad mm-hmm. got sick. He couldn't play, lost his scholarship. Like, I mean, things like this actually happen, and it's right. pretty brutal. Like, Whitney just lost out on going to college. Yeah, pretty much. So And so he he sees that his future is basically going to be living the same life as his dad lived, which I guess, you know, on a cer- certain level, like, you wouldn't want that, especially living in a small town. Like, I, I went to high school in a small town and then got the fuck out of there, and I can't, I can definitely tell you i feel like i dodged a bullet getting out of there well and i mean we go back a couple episodes to um the um hug where lana lana says uh, when she's confiding to clark and um chloe that whitney specifically does not want to stay in this town and does not want to live his father's life right and so, like, a couple weeks later, we have a follow-up to it where that's exactly what it looks like is going to happen to Whitney. Right. So, and, yeah. And, and so we get a, a little bit of connective tissue here for the rest of what will happen because uh, the guy who is Belaclava boy number two interrupts to ask if they have a shoe in a 12, and Clark spots the green ink um, and then gets caught staring. Uh, and then kind of gets the hell out of there. So now we have to assume because does Clark actually feel the effects at this point too? Uh, hard to say. I don't think so. I think he's far enough away that he doesn't. Oh, okay. But, Cause I'm wondering if like, cause they use the, the ink and it only has a certain amount of time that it's useful. Right. So I'm wondering if that also crosses over to how it would affect Clark. Probably, yeah, that's so, my thought, is that since it's faded, like, it's clearly not in act, it's not active right now. Also, um, all the tattoos in this episode are super 90s. Everything oh is my super God. 90s. Ridiculously bad. It's like that vague Celtic, um, Tri- like, tribal, tribal symbolism kind of stuff, which apparently is making a huge comeback, by the way. I just, I like, literally just got a new tattoo with my artist and another artist were, like, all psyched about how 90s tattoos are coming back, and I couldn't help but roll my eyes. I was like, yeah. no, you don't want that. Like, oh, I did this cool barbed wire on this guy yesterday. I can't wait. It's so awesome. I'm like, no, it's not. It's really not. It's bad. It's very you bad. past that. Yeah, people sorry are regretting those tattoos. Listening with a barbed wire tattoo, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry. We're sorry you did that to yourself. You're all '90s kids. <laughs> At least one of you has one. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, um, a- after Clark leaves, we get a little bit of a scene where Whitney is grabbing the shoes for B two, and uh, like uh, like Balaclava boy number one, like the leader recognizes him, and they have a conversation about how he blew out a knee and knows about tough breaks, and it's pretty clear what their end game is. Like they're they're trying to get him to come hang out. B1 invites uh, Whitney over to their place for beers and like for to like the chill and and like have fun and it's such a weird scene because he's like fun, you know. He's yeah, like this guy's never like he needs to chill a little bit. He's too bro. He's intense. Fun, you know, fun, man, fun. It's like it's like he's on cocaine all the time. Right. Um, and yeah, they're 100%. It's obvious that they're kind of, I don't know what, I don't know if they necessarily targeted Whitney out of the box, but they, as soon as they saw him, they're like, we're recruiting this dude because he's also looks like he's going down the road of washed up high school athlete. And well, we already know that that's effective. You've got You've got to assume that they know his story already that he like, his sporting career is like a touchstone between like uh, between all of them. Well, doesn't um, like um doesn't the the leader actually ask, like he bumps into Whitney in the store and he asks him about he's like, "Hey man, what's going on? Uh, you threw for a yeah. blah blah last year and I haven't seen you on the field." And then I think Whitney tells him and he's like, "Oh, I was yeah, there." Yeah, that's too, exactly man. the conversation. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly the conversation they have. But it feels like the guy is like uh is like setting that up for Whitney to reveal that. Like he might already know it. I can totally see that too. Cause they, I mean, they do need fresh blood. So you figure they're going to go and like, well, who could we use? Right. So they, so, and they, they, they do kind of seem like those guys that left high school, but never like, you know, finger quotes left, left high, school. high school. 
Right. Like they seem like, oh, we've been out of high school for two or three years, but we'll go back and we'll recruit high school kids because that's kind of where we still we're still at. Right. I know. I like. I know people that were like that. A hundred percent. I think I still know people like that. (laughs) Yeah. I. I. I don't want to throw too many people under the bus. I mean, they're not going to ever listen to this podcast, but like. No, we won't name names, but we all know people like this. Right. And so, but we actually cut basically to Whitney kind of, you know, wasn't going to say yes, but then we cut to him standing behind the bar at their, at their little, at their crib, um, having some drinks or whatever. And, uh, kind of B1 walks over to start giving him a tour and then kind of like partway through stops for a quick body shot from fucking Evangeline Lilly. Which... You had told me this post, like uh, us watching it and getting notes done, that she was in this episode, and I one hundred percent missed it because uh, I must have been uncredited. writing notes or something. But like Evangeline Lilly is not a face you forget about. No, she looks a little different. So again, I was I was doing kind of like a check. I was looking at IMDb, and right at the very bottom, uh, like it was like uncredited her and i was just like i know exactly who where she was in the episode that's yeah i i, I really yeah. have to go back and watch that scene again she must have been uh for those of you who don't know who evangeline lily is she is wasp in ant-man and wasp she was kate on lost um that i didn't mean that to rhyme um but she was uh she's i believe an alberta girl grew up in i want to say fort mcmurray um but moved to Vancouver, apparently started acting, and she was for a long time on a video game review show called Electric Playground. She was uh, um, one of the girls that like demoed products and whatnot, and then kind of made her big break with Lost. So it doesn't right. surprise me that she's in this. This might have been one of her first roles. Yeah, or at least pretty close. Um yeah, so we get, uh, he, like, as the tour continues, Whitney is shown to, like, a basically completely empty room except for, like, a tattoo chair and machine. Uh, what is this, like, down. villainous lair is, like, in, there's a lot of empty warehouses around Smallville. Right. For a small town? Yeah, I mean, like, this is the like, 90s. This isn't a regular house. The economy was pretty good in the 90s, so I don't understand what's going on. Because uh, it seems like a lot of businesses in and around Smallville went belly up. Right. And that's the thing is, it's like, this clearly isn't just like a house that they're in. Because of like how it's laid out, like how the bar is and like, it's just black light everywhere. And like, it's just fucking weird. But so we get to this, this scene and uh, Whitney tries to kind of back out a little bit, but um they they kind of you know he he kind of bends to the peer pressure um and then there's he sits down in the chair and he's like just make sure it doesn't say smallville yeah i my angst oh my angst yeah and then we get some hard music and we get him getting his tattoo and it's like he he's making an o face while he's being tattooed it's like, like first of all like that never happens straight up. No tattoos. Don't feel good. Steve, Steve, maybe in, maybe when you were in like our number five yesterday, maybe one your face might've made that. A couple there times, were, you know, down I mean, the there were some, there were some grimaces, but none of them were like enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> like none of them. But, but yeah. So after the tattoo scene, they're kind of out on the street, kind of in like a tunnel. I'm not sure even where this is. But, like, they're walking underground, like, out walking around and drinking. And then the three uh, the three bananas just fucking grab Whitney and, like, throw him in front of a semi. Which is, okay, it, it very, this scene very much reminded me of a scene in The Lost Boys. Yeah. Like, when they take Michael out to the bridge and they're all just hanging there until the train goes over. It's kind of that same weird, like, um, bro-y gang jumping mentality kind of thing going on. But yeah. um, uh, the fact that they give him no instructions or anything, and they, they just chant, be the truck, in hopes that it's just going to work. Like, yeah. And number two, that truck doesn't even try to stop. 
It no. knows when he's there. Honks. He hits the horn, but he doesn't slow down at, at all. all. At all. Very, very, but, I mean, weird scene, but now Whitney's got powers. Okay. Yeah, so we see uh, Whitney's just like, oh, man, sweet. Um, and then the next scene, uh, Chloe's awake, and they talk a little bit, and Chloe uh, does mention the tattoo she saw and kind of... Uh, impresses or is impressed that Clark uh, is Clark Kent investigative reporter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. It's yeah. a great nod. Mm-hmm. But he kind of, he kind of just is there to like, let her know what's going on and like to just try to sleep it off. A really cool part of this scene is when uh, Clark's like, Chloe, I'm so sorry. I wasn't there and I, I, I didn't, you know, stop you from falling, whatever. And she's like, you know what? You're not forgiven, Clark. I also don't forgive you for the Chicago fire of 1847 or blah, blah. And she like lists yeah. like five or 10 things that, Clark, well, I'm going to like two, three, two yeah. or three things yeah. that yeah. Clark couldn't possibly have prevented. And you kind of right. see the light bulb go on in Clark's brain for the first time where it's like, you know what? She's got a mm-hmm. point. Not all of these things are my fault. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, he pretty much, I mean, and then he leaves like right after that. I think he, uh, he like kisses her on the forehead before she leaves, before he leaves. Uh, I can see that. I don't, I don't necessarily remember it, but I can see it being a thing. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, like at the, at the Talon, uh, like Lana gives her pitch to Lex. Um, but he doesn't seem, cause it's not her fully formed one with like pictures and stuff. She just lets him know what she would do with it. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't seem particularly moved. Uh, and it's either because he's really just focused on the business aspect of it or because he's distracted by the blackmail and shit. Well, I think it could be both. I, I, I do think cause he's pretty firm with Lana right here where he's just like, this is not a business pitch. This is not what they look like. I'm a businessman. This is like, what is this? I understand what you're trying yeah. to do, but then actually do it. You know, like I'm not going to uh, accept you half-assing this if you want to make it a thing. Yeah. The weird thing with Lex is, I don't even know, know if it's necessarily a weird thing, but, and we've touched on this m- multiple times. He doesn't ever seem to be completely objective with Lana because he's always no. half flirting with her. Right. Well, sort of. Sort of. Well, and the, but the thing because... is, like, I don't even necessarily know if he's flirting with her or if he's just trying to be playful, you know. Well, but but, but he's because he's also always trying to get her to go with Clark, right? So is it a flirt or is it? You know what I mean? Like, because there are definite times where I look at him and he's like he's looking at Lana like she is a snack. Right. Uh, it's hard hard not to do, but um, yeah. No, again, just, I, just, it would be yes. But given given what we know about their age difference, it is a little bit icky of Lex to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's. Well, we haven't really established age now. For I'm, Lex, saying right? I'm saying 25. he's twenty five. I'm saying twenty five seems about right. And she's has she 15. turned eighteen yet? Well, in she's the show? sixteen. She's sixteen. Holy Christ, she's sixteen years old. <laughs> yeah, Lex. Yeah, that's dirty. Because remember that big birthday deal. The reason why it was such a big deal is because it was her 16th birthday. Her sweet 16, that's right. Oh, my God. So that's real dirty. This is real very dirty. appropriate. Especially with some stuff that's going to be coming up. In Who the fuck's going to let stuff. a 16-year-old, like, run her own business? Well, exactly, right? Like, this is where some of this falls apart because, like, there's, like, what kind of businessman is Lex Luthor, really? <laughs> well, it's not just that, but, like, she's still in high school right running a business is a full-time gig like and i'm not saying that there aren't like teen entrepreneurs out there of course there are but she's gonna like own and operate this thing and still go to high school i've never questioned this until now and i'm very confused about the entire situation right uh at uh i guess meanwhile at the Fordman store. Uh, Whitney is wearing the sunglasses of hangover regret uh, yep. when Clark comes to talk to him. And like he's just wearing sunglasses. 
I want this scene started up and I'm like, what a douchebag wearing sunglasses at work. And then I realized that I suffer from migraines and I have these special glasses that I wear when light is really affecting my eyes. And I'm like, oh, that's what people think of me when they come into work and see me wearing those glasses. Right. (laughs) Uh, But Clark, like, does a little bit of poking around and Whitney, like, tries to, like, get him to get get out of there. And uh, when Whitney tries to kind of turn away, Clark grabs the shoulder with the fresh tattoo. And, like, Whitney is like, ah, and pulls up his sleeves to look at it. And then Clark sees that he's got a tattoo. Um, Which cl- is that tattoo aged 10 years overnight. Right. Like, it it's is- a prison tattoo. <laughs> yeah, it's, it looks bad. The lines aren't clean. It's faded as fuck already. Pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Clark uh, Clark tries to warn him away from those guys, but Whitney kind of flips it and accuses Clark of trying to steal on all the time, and all of a sudden he wants to play Boy Scout, and then just tells him to get the hell out of the store. Which is fair. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a pretty, like, accurate description of what's going on with Clark. Because it's this time, Clark's not even really there to, as a, in the, in the sense of being a customer. He's just there to harass Whitney. Literally just to butt into his life. Yeah. Right. So on the farm, uh, Lana visits Clark in the loft and tells Clark, uh, you know, Whitney seems a little off, but wouldn't tell her what's going on. And Clark is like, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to be the one telling you this. But then Clark tells her about how Whitney lost his scholarship and all this other stuff. And like Lana is like legitimately shocked. And this is where like there's every once in a while you get a scene with Kristen Crook where because Lana's not really handled very well as a character and is often used as just kind of like to morally center other people. um, Every once in a while she throws out like a really great empathetic and sympathetic performance where she's like damn and that girl she actually does have all the tools like she yeah. she has a lot of acting talent she just didn't doesn't often get a, an opportunity to flex it in smallville beyond like very morose um um like reflections of the past right yeah only when she's diving into pain does does she really get and that's all the writing for her. So yeah, yeah, I would have liked to to see a more fun loving Lana a lot more often. You know what I mean? Right. No. But Clark, I think uh, Clark's done a little bit more digging too, and has determined the names of the guys, or at least B one and B two. He learns that their uh, names are Wade Mahaney and Scott Bowman, and that they graduated in ninety six. Uh, they have names? Yeah. Yeah. So at least the first two do. Like <laughs> Oh, we still haven't gotten the third one yet. <laughs> the guy with no the guy with one arm still doesn't have a name. Oh uh, it wasn't Lex, it was the one armed man. It was me. Yeah. That uh, is a reference, kids, that none of you are gonna get. <laughs> oh. Not even if you're taking it from like the like the oh man like i don't even want to try to get into it because it'll it'll take 20 minutes there's uh, literally a reference of a reference yeah exactly <laughs> disguised as another reference exactly uh but, all good movies though yeah if, uh, if you know what the hell we're talking about please leave a comment yeah do it uh so but yeah he learns like they graduated like years ago and 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 Clark offers to help figure out what's up with Whitney, but suggests um, also that because Lana gets into what's going on with the talent and Clark is like, well, maybe he wasn't like rejecting her proposal, but that he was probably challenging her to come with something better. Yes. And of course, like this is one of those things where like oftentimes in these scenes with Lex and Lana, they both walk away with something they needed. And that's basically the entire point of the scene. Yeah, uh, that's fair, though. Yeah. I mean, that that works. Yeah. So they get there. Uh, but uh, so locking up the store, um, the boys 
show up to pick up Whitney, uh, and kind of Clark is standing nearby, like around the corner, and waits for them to drive off, and then kind of runs after them. Um, and we see Lex arriving at their kind of arranged meeting place, which is apparently yet another abandoned, like, it's like a meat packing plant or something. Yeah, because... yeah, they like walk him into a meat locker. Right. And then so once he's inside, he's kind of locked in, and he kind of turns to see uh, Wade come through the, the wall, and then we see uh, like B2 and B3 behind him with Whitney. Um, and Whitney does not play it cool at all. Like, like Lex almost immediately recognizes his voice, or I think he does. Um, oh, that's a good question, actually. I don't know. Because Whitney's like, what's going on here? Like, what? what? I think Whitney freaks out because it's like, we have Lex Luthor in a meat locker. Are, like, this looks like we're putting out a hit. Gonna like, are we going to kill this guy? Yeah. But, so, uh, we find out because uh, Lex didn't bring the money because we... We learned that as B2 learned. So he reached through the case. And I guess maybe on the other side of this, he re-solidified his fingers so we could feel that there was no money there. Like, how how could how is putting his hand through the case determining that there's no money there? Because if he's putting his hand through things, wouldn't he also then put his hand through the money? Like, it's such a... Their, their powers yeah. are not explained at all. So that, yeah, because that, that, that really hints at a completely different dynamic with the power. Right. But yeah, like, uh, like Clark shows up, um, like, like as, as this dude is strangling Lex, um, he's threatening like Lex to bring the money. Clark shows up, uh, but he's like instantly weakened by their ink and, uh, he gets KO'd by a meat hook and they make to leave as they kind of make to leave. Clark calls out to Whitney who turns briefly before passing through the wall. And he does this inside of Lex as well. So it's Lex obviously now does know that Whitney's involved with this. Yeah. Which is weird. Cause you would think like, as soon as Lex realizes, Oh, Whitney's one of these people. All right. I'm going to crush him now. Yeah. He's done. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe Lex had something to do with Whitney losing his scholarship. <laughs> oh, there's there's no way to know that for sure, though. There is no way. That's speculation. And that would just be like Clark, Lex going out of his way to fuck with somebody's life for no reason. Well, uh, or or maybe he's doing it so that Whitney becomes like a you know, quote unquote, like loser. So Lana will leave him for Clark. Oh, maybe. This is all speculation and slander, folks. It's all libel. Yeah. Well, it's all it's speculation. We don't speculate on rumors and comment on rumors and speculation, I guess. Well, we kind of do, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do. That's kind of our job here. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. We cut to a junkyard for some reason, um, and Whitney is kind of grilled about getting cold feet and is warned not to screw up again. Uh, and then Wade kind of makes it clear that he's going to deal with Lex, whatever that means. Um, and then speaking of that, uh, Lex and Clark pull up to a stop on Main Street and Clark asks what Lex was doing there. And so Lex comes clean about the disc, but then also warns Clark that, you know, trying to save the world is going to leave him with like a messiah complex and a lot of enemies. Which is a kind of a funny line, considering yeah. all like the messiah imagery that is thrust superman. upon superman all the time right and the the jealousy that lex has about that messiah complex yes he has it himself he just has it in a different way yeah uh, he kind of he wants to be more lord than savior yeah yeah he, he doesn't want to be both i think um, he, i think he sees himself as a savior like lex luther right uh, because Lex Lex is actually really when he, when Lex is the best written, and I don't mean just like Lex on Smallville. I mean Lex in, in the history of Lex Luthor. He's best written when he literally, honestly believes he has honorable right. 
notions, honorable intentions. Like what he, what the, the really good stories where he's going after Superman because he legitimately believes Superman is a threat. He sees Superman as the bad guy. Those are the best Lexes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's like also the, uh, so the thing with the disc and Clark, Clark being like, uh, like, like having this said to him, he's just kind of like, oh, I, like so many people have told him today to like kind of stop trying to be the hero and blah, blah, blah. But uh, we are back in Chloe's uh, hospital room and we get kind of a, just with her, like piecing it together from her, her hospital bed, we get kind of an explanation for how the powers work. Like it, it affects their molecular structure, but it's so vague. Like it is ridiculous how vague it is. Like, how also, could these guys possibly control it? Like, would you think the minute they got the tattoo that they would have just fallen through the floor? Into the center of the earth? Yeah. Yeah. And just yeah, died? It's, yeah. Actually, that's an excellent point. How the fuck do they walk on anything? Right. Um, and, and this scene as well, like, we they start getting into this because I, re- I caught it in the next episode as well. But they start talking about how good all these kids are at hacking shit. Right. So, like, Clark's like, how did you get internet access in a hospital? And she's like, oh, well, uh, um. Pete got her phone line. Like, yeah, Pete, Pete hacked through the ho- into the hospital's internet or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure Wi-Fi doesn't exist yet. Yeah, it definitely doesn't. <laughs> and I don't see a phone cord plugged into the back of that computer. So, like, the whole thing's right. very weird. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, like, Whitney, uh. So Whitney goes and finds Lana at the Talon, um, then lets Clark know, uh, Clark and Lana know what the plan was. Like, Clark and Whitney head back to the hideout to try to recover the disc. Like, they like they just hatch this plan, like, immediately. Um, and, like, we pretty much cut straight to them, like, infiltrating the hideout. Um, and, like, inside they start searching around, and Clark finds the disc, like, up in a vent, like, immediately using x-ray vision but they go to leave and are confronted by like the dudes and clark decides to crush the disc in his hand but then like wade like shoves basically does like an eobard thon and just puts his hand right into his chest that is exactly what i thought i like i actually (laughs) wrote down like eobard thon watched this episode and loved it he took notes (laughs) yeah yeah, just reaches into, like, he could have just killed Clark, but for some reason didn't. Um, just reached into his chest and then reached back out. Yeah, Sis, somewhere Cisco Ramon is having P- PTSD flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, so, like, that they pretty much, they pretty quickly, like, the disc is no longer a factor. But uh, they kind of, dr- like, Clark is just dropped. Um, and then Wade and Scott are walking Whitney in that kind of back area they were in before. There's a bunch of cars and junk everywhere. Um, and uh, they're obviously walking him to his death. Um, and Clark is left with uh, the one-armed man. Um, and Clark tells him he knows about the arm, but he kind of only shrugs it off, saying that Clark's going to pay. And he's kind of standing near a wall, and then all of a sudden we see him just kind of like, like he's just tased. Like Lex is behind him and tases the fuck out of him. That way, it was like such a ninja move from Lex because he just comes out of nowhere and the guy drops. Right. Um, Lex, and then Lex goes like right away to call the cops, and then Clark pulls a disappearing act as usual. Um, but uh, so they've decided to do like a super villain type death, like a complicated death for Whitney rather than just killing him normally. Yep. So they're standing below, uh, like Wade and him are standing below a car held by a chain for reasons. Um, and, uh, Wade lets Whitney know that his life is over and he's about to have the car dropped when Clark shows up. Uh, Wade pulls out a gun, so, which he could have shot Whitney with 15 times by now. Like, uh, puts it under Whitney's chin, and then Scott drops the car. And they're kind of like, woo! But we're seeing at the same time that 
uh, like Wade's tattoo has faded and Clark bursts forward again with enough speed to kind of counteract uh, the meteor feeling. It hasn't taken his power away. Uh, it knocks Whitney out of the way and Wade gets crushed by the car. So pancaked. Yeah, they flat out killed their friend. Uh, get it flat out. Uh, Uh, anyway um so like nobody sees clark turn into a blur again like this is kind of sloppy from clark in this first season um especially whitney yeah yeah like how does whitney not notice this or have a couple shattered ribs well, from, as like, the car is released, as the car is released, both Wade and Whitney are looking up at the car. Uh, so Whitney, okay. All right. He doesn't, Whitney doesn't see him coming, but he's still got to be really confused as to how Clark crossed a 15 foot expanse in a matter of a second. And don't they like, I, I don't want to say like land next to each other, but like Clark doesn't leave Whitney and then take off. Like Whitney's no. not standing by himself. They're standing beside each other, right? So it's obvious that whatever happened to Whitney, Clark was part of it. Yeah, and they like they they're like knocked like he tackles him to the ground basically. Yeah. So you've got then, to think like Do they ask that question cuz now I kind of feel like they asked that question like Clark, how did you cover I, 40 yards in 3 seconds? I don't think they do like this time because I mean I know I know these questions are always asked of Clark at some point in the series but um, at this, I think in this instance where it's like, okay, this happened, Scott tries to turn around and run, but there's the cops have arrived. Like during the scene upcoming, like we can hear sirens happening. Yeah. Um, but then he tries to run off and the cops are already on the scene. Um, there's like a real quick scene after where like Lex is making sure everybody's okay. Um, and then after Clark leaves, like Lex goes over to the police car and tells the remaining dudes that their secret is safe as long as his is. Um, and then, and then has just like the coldest line ever. Yeah. Yeah. He basically warns them that if they don't keep it, they'll find out that they aren't the only ones who can reach through walls. Yeah. That's so cold. Like don't fuck up. I'm watching you and I can get to you wherever you are. Yeah. And he's like, and I don't need tattoos. It's so good. So good. But yeah, so like it's it's pointed out like by Chloe, I think, that the uh, the tattoo ink was not recovered by the police. Like Chloe Chloe's out of hospital and like in this last scene, she's kind of just happy to be out, but that she's doing she wants to run off to do her own digging. Um and we learn right here in this final scene that the third guy's name was Derek. Because she talks about Scott and Derek. Oh, there you go. Wow, man. Introduce your so, characters better, Smallville. <laughs> like, yeah, like the end of the episode. Very end uh, of the episode. I will say this. Uh, there are moments, and I'm going to bring them up like almost every time. But there's like, Chloe is genuinely so happy to A, be out of the hospital. B, see that Clark was like really successful in his digging and whatever. Like, Right. There's a certain amount of joy and exuberance that comes from Chloe every once in a while that just really warms your heart. Yeah. Uh, the 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 very last thing the, yeah, the very last thing that happens though is it's like Clark uh Clark wishes Lana luck as she goes in back into the Talon to talk to Lex about her proposal and he kind of agrees to the deal saying that it would mean the beginning of a very interesting partnership and we the very last scene is like lana kind of smiling as he's walking away but it kind of the smile kind of slips off her face at the end of it like she is happy but then she realizes that it probably means like some serious shit well you you i I mean like it's just it's a business term but she just quote unquote got in bed with the luthers yeah yeah. Or not business in like mob term, I guess. Um, right. But yeah, so, and, and this is where like my argument from the beginning came from because this is where Lex is like almost doing like the proud of you, good to be, and like the way he says partners, 
So it's like yeah. at this point, is Lex working with Lana to get closer to Clark or to get in her still in high school pants or because he legitimately sees like potential in her or is it all three or is it just Lex covering every considerable base? Cause that's what Lex does. Yeah. I think that's, it's probably more likely that he is, he sees the potential in all, in all of these things. Maybe not necessarily the one where it's trying to get into her pants, but like, he may be, he, he sees the potential of like maybe the business, like he can take like a hands-off approach to this and just kind of be like the money behind the scenes. And if she fucks it up, then he can still turn the place into a parking lot. That's true. That's true. Right. It's, uh, I mean, yay, we revitalized the downtown of Smallville, but like, in all honesty, in 20 years, it's going to be ravaged by a horrible economy and legally prescribed opioids. So... Yeah. Great, yay, Middle America! <laughs> we did it. Off, you've staved off the devil for twenty years. Two thousand eight is coming, motherfuckers, and it's gonna land like a hammer. Yeah. Um, good episode. I mean, like, like you said, villain of the week kind of stuff, and uh, yeah, it's a, and it's... We, we you get. I th- I want to say you get more emotional character development than any kind of like forward propelling of any story or any legacy, I guess. None of, yeah, none of the things that have been an ongoing concern are covered except for the talent. The talent is the thing that they do something with in this episode. That's true. Yeah. So, so world building is done in this, I guess, because the talent does become like a central hub of things. It's never like hugely important to the story of Smallville, but it does become a place where a lot of, I mean, yeah, I mean, at some point, Lana become like starts living in the upstairs of it, and then Chloe starts living in the upstairs of it at some point. After that, oh, that's right. Like way in the future. Wow, that's kind of like an almost proto Watchtower kind of thing going on. Kinda, yeah. I mean, cool, cool. That, uh, the number of times people go through that railing onto the floor oh, yeah. below. Oh is... yeah, there's a lot of falling in the talent. A lot. Of yeah, it. a lot of. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, yeah, good episode. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but I am very curious, Paul, to know what happens in the next episode of Smallville. The next episode of Smallville, Zero. A nemesis presumed to be dead for three years resurfaces in Smallville and stalks Lex. Chloe uncovers intriguing information about Clark's adoption. This is a good um, character and lore and world building episode. Um, I, I like literally watched it a couple hours ago. Um, very. Um, it Lex was a hard does one heavy, to have... like Michael Quantum... Rosenbaum does the heavy lifting. Oh yeah, for one. sure. For sure. And it's not, not to say that was hard to have fun with as far as like um, it not being a good episode. Hard to have fun with as as in like making jokes about things because it is like just a, a, a really good episode. It goes into the past of some things that have already been discussed, but then it hints at future storylines. It's all just very well put together this episode for the most yeah. part. For the most part. Yeah, it's not perfect. I mean, it's no, it's it's well, it's well put together for sure. Yes, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, but that's next. And uh, I guess with uh, with nothing else to say, somebody save us.